2: It can feel a little like an endurance test.
0: I, yeah, I just, I'm just like looking, it's, what, two months until the election, a little less than two months. I, I, I just need to get to the election <laughs> we were... somehow, some way. I need to summon the will. Yeah,
2: I, I, that's a really familiar feeling to me. I mean, how long have you covered Washington now?
0: Um, 13 years. Do you remember when talking about politics was fun? Yeah, vaguely. <laughs> I remember my first job, I was, I blogged for Wonkhead back in 07, 08. And I would actually, like, there were actually weeks I I would be mad when the weekend came because I was having so much fun.
2: What's not fun is trying to game out the next few weeks and how they'll play with voters. We all know what happened last time we tried to predict who would be president, In October of 2016, seven in 10 voters said they thought Hillary Clinton would be moving into the White House. Among Clinton's supporters, 93% expected her to win. A lot of listeners are carrying their anxiety from 2016 into this race. Can you just sort of stack up where we are now versus where we were around this time in 2016?
0: Sure. Let me. um where are we? What day was What day is it today? Uh, seven, Tuesday, September eight, 8th. 8th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clinton was ahead by three. It looks like this time four years ago, we we're right in the middle of one of these waves where Trump had caught her and then it just started tightening up again.
2: You hear what Jim said there? Trump caught her? That's what the polls looked
0: like four years ago
2: like the two candidates playing tag.
0: So Clinton could take a pretty uh, noticeable lead, maybe four or five points, but Trump would catch her. Clinton would take another lead, Trump would catch her. Clinton would take another lead, Trump would catch her. This time around, though, Trump has never come anywhere close to catching Biden. His lead will vary from five or six to, at one point, 10 or 11. Trump has never really come within breathing distance of catching Biden so far. Today on the show,
2: with the presidential race in its final few weeks, we talk about what the data shows and whether you can trust it. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover.
0: The
1: If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails, there ain't no going back. With so
2: many national polls showing Biden in the lead, politicos know what you're thinking, that you've been to this rodeo before. So all summer long, pollsters have been laying out their case. One wrote an article in The Atlantic titled believe the polls this time. Charlie Cook over at Cook Political Reports blogged, many are afraid to say it, but this is not a close race. And part of the reason these folks are so confident is that in the last few years, they've changed the way they do their work. They've started making sure their samples include people that in the past they assumed might not vote. Non-college educated white people. Many of these people turned out not to be non-voters, but Trump
0: voters. In 2016, this whole split between college-educated whites and non-college whites, that was a pretty new development for 2016 to have this be such, I mean, a massive gap between these two demographics that they hadn't really thought to wait by education, in all of their polls. But most of the good pollsters are now waiting by education in an attempt to just capture those who are less likely to respond. I mean, that, that's. I think that's still maybe a little bit of a problem, but, but pollsters are aware of it, where the people who are most likely to respond are higher educated, higher income. I do not know why wealthier people like to talk to <laughs> pollsters on the phone more, but it's a real thing. Another reason for the, the big polling miss in 2016, where they did miss, was just that late breakers went for Trump so decisively. People who are undecided. Yeah. You know, if you thought about people who hadn't made a decision in 2016, a lot of them just loathed Hillary Clinton, loathed Donald Trump, were putting off making a decision for as long as possible. And then at the end, they broke for Trump. It doesn't seem like, one, Biden isn't as loathed by the opposition as, as Clinton was, fairly or not. But also in some of these polls of people who don't like either Biden or Trump, Biden has been doing pretty well.
2: What do we know about how Biden is doing in this demographic that broke for Trump, these white, non-college-educated
0: folks? Because the argument for Biden was always, he'll connect with those people better. I mean, Trump still has huge margins among white, non-college voters, but um, Biden's position is a little better relative to Clinton's. I mean, he's doing better with white voters across the board. I mean, that's really, to me— an interesting story of, of what's going on and what kind of coalition Biden is putting together. He's not just strictly recreating the, the Obama coalition, which was really strong margins and turnout from voters of color, really strong margins and turnout from younger voters. I mean, this is one where it's, it's, it's a little whiter than either of those.
2: Hmm.
0: Obama white voters with a college degree were not a strong demographic especially in 2012.
2: This year, there's another demographic that seems to be breaking for Biden.
0: Seniors. The older voters were Trump's best age demographic in 2016. He won them by um, about 10 points or so. This time, Biden's been leading them among them by 12 points in some polls. Um, not all of them. But uh, Biden would have the a chance to be the first... Democrats, it's Al Gore to have won senior voters. And, um, you know, that's real trouble for Trump if that actually materializes. Um, He won't really have anywhere else to hide given his deficits among so many other groups. And it it really could have a big effect when you look at pretty much all of the swing states, Arizona, Florida, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, they all have higher than average proportions of older voters as part of their electorate. So um, it's, it's, It's a real softness for Trump right now.
2: There are other things complicating the polls for Trump. This year, there isn't a strong third-party candidate that could, in a tight race, give the president an advantage. And while undecideds broke for Trump last time, there just aren't that many of them this year. They make up 5 to 10 percent of the electorate rather than the 20 percent they did back in 2016. So Trump is trying to make inroads with other demographics surprising demographics
0: relative to 2016 he does seem to be showing a little bit better performance among black and hispanic voters specifically black and hispanic men Hmm. um but but this is we're talking you know it's not like he's winning he's going from like among black voters like five to eight or nine percent or something and hispanic voters you know 28 to 32 percent or something like that it's not going to deliver him the election, but it is notable that his position isn't decaying worse than it was in 2016. Um, But otherwise, his his real base, I mean, he can clip a couple of Democratic margins here or there, but his real base is still non-college educated white voters. And the one thing he has going for them is that even with all the support he got from that demographic in 2016, they were still a pretty untapped group. I mean, there are still a ton of non-college whites in a lot of swing states who do not have not historically turned out to vote. And that's where his path of victory is. If he can really register a lot more of those voters um, than we've seen before, uh, that seems to be his best opportunity. Hmm. I'm not saying it's a great one. I mean, you you can always say, you know, if he can register all these low propensity to vote voters, but there's, you know— they're also low propensity to vote in the past so you can't always you can't just double that overnight
2: part of what makes polling more interesting to watch now is that after labor day that's when state data
0: begins to improve
2: which is important in a country where some states matter more than others in florida a poll this week seems to show the race tightening with trump and biden tied but arizona looks like it's headed in a different direction
0: arizona is Four years ago it was considered kind of a, a reach for the Clinton campaign or like a special little treat that if she wanted to visit it, then she could then she could go for it so long as she had the rest locked down. Instead, she visited it without having the rest locked down. So that was a bit <laughs> of a problem. But um polling averages have had Arizona, Biden's been up just about every poll. It's you know, a combination there of just the electorate becoming another four points more Hispanic in his composition, and also um, some suburban decay for Trump, which he's seeing everywhere. So I, I think it's going to be pretty close, but Biden, you would have to call him the favorite there, just going by all the the polling that we're seeing.
2: Um, well, Trump pulled a bunch of ads in Arizona recently, and it was seen as a sign that maybe they were giving up on the state to some extent. But then that means you're relying on Midwestern states, which are pretty newly read, if you're talking about Michigan, Wisconsin.
0: So it seems like a bit of a risky strategy. Yeah, I don't think he's he's giving up in Arizona. They were pulling ads from a lot of places around the conventions. And there was a big New York Times story last night. This was partially related to how they've blown $800 million already (laughs) and are, are somehow having to tighten their belts a little bit. But I mean, I think they'll be back up on the air in Arizona because if they... If they lose Arizona then they really they have to get Let me make sure my math here is but it really does put all the stress on holding Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin when it they're not in a great position in in any of those states right now um and they'll still have to protect Florida too cuz if they lose Florida and Arizona the election's over.
2: Yeah. I mean I think it's worth talking about those states, specifically just Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, because their states were, there were such thin margins in 2016. I mean, Trump won Michigan and Pennsylvania by less than a percentage point, And the margin of error for a poll is like 3%. So right. it, just, it makes me wonder, like, <laughs> how much can we know ahead of time? How much faith should we put in these polls, even when they're breaking it down locally, which is so important in our particular
0: system. I I think, you know, if it's plus three, say it's Biden plus three in any of those states on election day, I mean, who knows? Anything could happen that night. Polls are sometimes, you know, average polling misses are sometimes two, three, four points. Um, And then it depends on which direction it goes. I think one thing that's a little different is those states really didn't have... I'm not entirely sure what Wisconsin, but Michigan and Pennsylvania did not really have strong mail-in voting apparatus in 2016. It was mostly in person right around election day. And now they're trying to, they've had passed law changes to, to allow for a lot more mail-in voting, um, both even before the pandemic, they're trying to do this.
2: What does that functionally mean for the election? Does it mean that processing the votes will take more time or something else?
0: Well, it, it will take more time because um, in Pennsylvania, they can't start counting ballots, any ballots that are turned in any point until polls close. So I, I'm not the, the election law guy here, you know, I don't know what the rationale for that is. But it means that if we have an election coming down to Pennsylvania, say Democrats have lost Florida and Arizona and they've won Wisconsin and Michigan, and it's all coming down to Pennsylvania, then that could be a nightmare. I mean, it really could be. Just um, having to wait for the count, and then also, you know, there could be lawsuits over provisional ballots and everything. And that sounds hmm. a little terrifying, but it is a little terrifying. I mean, it... Just because they're new systems? Because this is the opportunity to sort of kick the tires? They're new systems, and states just have not, with coronavirus, had to handle this much mail before. And now, you know, mail-in ballots themselves are highly politicized. Um, And you have all state officials from each party trying to make it easier to vote by mail or harder to vote by mail. And, you know, all these little mechanics, you know, I just really hope that there aren't too many ballots thrown away because they were uh, not properly done or or they were spoiled or something. I, I just really hope that how Americans voted in the election is captured in the election results. I mean, that's the stuff that makes me worry.
2: Yeah, and of course, we're talking about these individual states because in our particular system, individual states are really important. We have an electoral college, and so where you're voting really matters because you're voting for representation to do the actual vote, and, and I was struck by the fact that <laughs> there was reporting this weekend that allies of President Trump, they think there's virtually no chance that he'll win the popular vote. He lost the popular vote last time, too. But that's a striking admission to me and also <laughs> makes me wonder how much we can say in advance about <laughs> who's ahead and who isn't. Because so much comes down to this ancient system of democracy.
0: Right. I mean, there was a really striking, a couple of poll analysts, Nate Silver, someone else last week, were showing Biden's percentage of winning the electoral college, depending on his popular vote margin, and even up by a few points. If, say, Biden won the popular vote by three points, you know, Trump still has a really good chance of winning. The electoral college that way. I mean, I think up to the sort of ways being handicapped is up to about a five point bided win. You know, Trump could actually win the electoral college. I don't know. There are a lot of ways. To, there are a lot of ways to describe the sort of system where you can win a popular vote for a presidency by five points and still lose the presidency. There, I'm I, not quite sure what the exact word for it is, but I, I think it. <laughs> I don't know it's something I would think a bit about.
2: I keep thinking about the polling from 2016 and the fact that now we're trying to correct for what went wrong there by sampling more non-college-educated whites. And I think about it in terms of (laughs) we're always, like, fighting the last battle. And it just makes me wonder, like, who we're leaving out this time. Like, all these polls saying whatever they're saying, who are they not seeing? You know, I was reading an article this weekend where they were talking about getting out the vote in Wisconsin and translating what happened in Kenosha to political power and how a lot of people just felt like we watched Trump win last time and it's probably just going to happen again and why even register? And I just thought, oof, I don't know if that reflects anything real. We won't know until November. But it did make me think, like, who are we not seeing in these polls?
0: Uh the the boat vote. The boaters. Sorry. <laughs> well, I know you're asking a serious question. I go straight to the boat vote. <laughs> My husband was
2: like, I hope your show is about the boaters. I, th- I think your boaters. show
0: should be every day about the boaters. <laughs> yeah, the boaters until election day.
2: The voter boat. Yeah, boater
0: voters. I think you should get in the parades there. <laughs> Just make sure your boat doesn't sink. Uh, I think that's a really good point about who we're missing. And naturally, I can't, say who it is because they're missing. Um, but that that sort of feeling of uh, despair and that, that feeling that people think, even despite the polling being really good for Biden, that Trump is just going to win. I think that's really interesting. You know, Even when Trump was down by like 10 or 11 at some points in the middle of the summer, I remember there was a poll of, I think, Pennsylvania where Biden was leading the poll by 10, but then people are asked who they think will win the election and Trump was leading by like 15 or something. Hmm. And I think that if it's, people are so despairing that they're not even registering to vote, that's a big problem for, for Biden. But I also think it can be kind of useful. I mean, I remember in 2016, running around the sidewalk and screaming at strangers that Trump could win and you're not paying attention enough, you know? And uh, people just looked at me like, uh, you know one i'm calling the police and two like no of course of course trump's not going to win you know <laughs> like that can't happen um this time i feel like it's the opposite and i think that could make sure that people actually do get out to vote if you think trump's going to find some some magic trick here to to try and steal this then that makes sure you're not complacent
2: Aw, that was like a like pretty warm and fuzzy from for you, Jim. Really? <laughs> I think so. Like get out there and do your duty, America. It's the best, you know. It's like that Obama speech. It's not working, but it's the best we have.
0: <laughs> well, I am. I am an Obama-like orator, so.
2: <laughs> Jim Newell, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Jim Newell is Slate's senior politics writer. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Daniel Hewitt, and Elena Schwartz. Thanks to Ray Suarez, who filled in for me during my summer vacation. If you want to see what I did on that summer vacation, just go to my Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. I'm Mary Harris. I'll be back tomorrow with more What Next.